You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Well, good morning. I think it's going to stay right there. Hey, we're super honored that you would join us this morning. We've got an incredible Sunday as we've already experienced just in worship. I I just feel the Lord is in the room. Anybody else just know that God is close? Show of hands, so good. Hey, we've got an incredible gift for you, uh, a gift to the body of Christ, but also a gift to Renew Life Church. Uh, So honored to have Prophet Ed Trout with us. He means tons to this body. Uh, He has spoken tremendous things into uh, our leadership in Braden Leanne, but then also me and just so many people in the room that have gotten prophetic words, just grown in the truth from just hearing his teachings and just the way that he he lives and teaches and uh, it's absolutely amazing so without further ado would you just join me in welcoming prophet ed trout come on thank you jesus take your seats wonderful people in this very cold climate of Midland, Odessa. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. I have my wife with me, Wave. Wife, 45 years. <laughs> One of my 10 grandkids next to me too, and her dad. All right, so I would like you to turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, to the book of Matthew. Matthew was a very interesting man. There were 12 disciples Jesus had. 11 of which came from the Galilee area. Galilee was 700 feet below sea level, is still. Different climate, different way of life. And all, most of the people that he called as disciples were, were um, uh, blue collar, were less educated. They were farmers and they were fishermen and such like from the Galilean area. Very calm, relaxed type people. Matthew was different, he was a tax collector. For him to be able to collect taxes, he had to be educated. And uh, Mark talks about him as Matthew Levi. Matthew doesn't refer to himself as Matthew Levi, only Matthew, which tells me that he doesn't recognize his parents a whole lot. And we also know that he has a brother, one of the disciples, uh, the other James, has the same father as he does. So they were brothers. And Matthew, being a tax collector and educated in both in Greek, Hebrew, and in the Roman language, means that his parents made an effort to send him to school to educate him, only to be disillusioned and frustrated that he did not follow the Jewish traditional way of going into the synagogue life or to the the Levitical order which he was called to, but rather became a tax collector, which was seen as a betrayal to the Jewish people when you did such a thing. Then to add to that, he became one of those followers of that crazy person called Jesus. And so they were very disillusioned when Jesus calls Matthew from the the collection booth of taxes. That night, Matthew has a big party for him. They have a banquet. And, the, and the, there are those walking by saying, why does Jesus associate with these tax collectors and sinners? This, when the Jews refer to sinners, they're not people that are living in sin as we understand. They are people that don't attend church as often or not recognized as true, following, following all the laws of, of their Jewish faith, and they're recognized as sinners. They're not real Christians or not real followers of God. That's how they call them sinners. And of course, it's strange that his parents weren't invited to this big banquet of Jesus, which tells me that he had a disconnect from his own family. Being educated and working with money, you'd think 
somehow that Jesus would actually allocate the bookkeeping to him for all the finances. But instead, he gives it to the one who didn't come from Galilee, the Judas, Judas who came from Iscariot. He came from the south, southern side towards the, towards the Dead Sea, not quite as far down. And that's where he came from, and God gave him the potential to take care of money. It's the most unusual thing how that money will change your life. You could be totally insane or mentally disturbed, but if you are rich, then they just call you eccentric. <laughs> it's amazing how people will tolerate, accommodate people that with money. It'll excuse all kinds of behavior because they think you're special. It's such a real problem that we're told in the scriptures not to give anybody in the church more importance because they have wealth. Because God doesn't consider you more because you have money. In fact, the sacrifice of the widow woman that gave all she had was far more notable to the Lord Jesus than all the rich that gave large amounts of money. It's not the rich that build a church, but the generous. It's not the rich that build a church, but the generous. Generosity is an act of heart and faith. Now, the funny thing about money was it exposed Judas's heart from the very beginning. Judas was a good Christian, too. He did the same thing as the disciples. We know that because nobody knew it would be him. When he said, one of you will betray me, they began to ask, is it me, is it me, is it him? They didn't know. They actually asked Peter, to, uh, not Peter, um, Thomas, not who was sat next to him, John. Asked John, asked Jesus who it is that's gonna betray him because he was not obvious in rebellion or different or difficult. He was like the rest of them. Cast out devils, heal the sick. He had all the potential, all the look of a good Christian, but money messed him up. It was for money that he sold the information he had about Jesus, and money really changed his whole life. And money will always be an issue for a lot of people in many ways, and so I hope that you have victory over that. And tithing is not a Old Testament feature. It's not a New Testament feature either. It was initiated way back, and I'm, I'm teach because I'm from a Jewish family, for those who don't know, and so I've only realized the last 10 years that uh, people that are not Jewish have a lot of, don't have the same cultural understanding of so much of the Word of God. You must remember that all the disciples, including Jesus, were all Jews. They lived already in a Jewish pattern of life, and a lot of which we learned from the Word of God came from that Jewish way of life, so many things that they would talk about are very obvious to me, but I always thought people understood that, so that's why. I teach what I teach so you get a little understanding of the Bible that you will know that it become real to your life. Do you understand? Are you with me still? Okay, so uh, this um, Judas himself had all this in his life going on and it all that was revealed was the darkness inside of him. Oh, that's what money, tithing started with Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the only Hebrew or in history of the Hebrews, a man who was a king and a priest. That's why they associate Jesus with the order of Melchizedek, because you're either king or a priest, you can be both, but he was. He was living in Jerusalem, known as a different name at the time, but it was the same city, the same place, the same origin. And of course, Abraham, who introduced faith to us, also introduced tithing to Melchizedek. And that's where it all started. You cannot separate faith from tithing. God gives us tithing not because he wants to put pressure on us. You came with nothing, you leave with nothing. What he does is to teach us discipline so that money will not control us. <laughs> you don't like what I'm telling you, do you? <laughs> money must not control your mind or your heart. 
because God supplies all your needs. He gives money to, he gives, he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You can sow your bread and you shouldn't eat your seed. Right? There's got to be a healthy balance in this. This happens to be now, in Jesus' walk and his ministry, he had many people that associated with him, many people that came to him with desperate needs. One would be emotionally broken like the woman at the well. Another would be health issues, serious health issues. Others would be all kinds of questionnaires trying to find the truth. But there was one young man that was really fulfilled in so many ways. Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to him and he's known as a rich, young, very young, and a ruler. He's referred to in that capacity, which means as a young man, he takes his success at a very young age, and he was a ruler. That means he's recognized in authority, and he was successful. But he comes to Jesus. In the book of Matthew, I read in, the, in chapter 19, verse 16, I read that just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And of course, in Mark, they say good teacher to him as a good teacher. And he says, why? And in all three accounts, they say, why do you ask me what is good? Because <laughs> the whole politics of that day, rabbis were teachers, but only one was God was good. And so when he came to him, he was, he was looking to what he was recognizing. You rec are you recognizing me as God's messenger, God's son? Because people always know that Peter acknowledged Jesus as the son of God, but he wasn't the first. You guys are quiet. The first one to acknowledge him as a son of God was Nathaniel. When he came and he saw him under the tree, he said, I saw you under the tree, Nathaniel. Oh, you are the son of God, he said to him. He said, don't be impressed by that. I'll show you many more greater signs and wonders, Jesus said. So interesting how all these things pan up. And uh, I, I take tourists to Israel on occasion uh, because I want to make the word of God come alive. Let me just quickly tell you about that. In fact, we're going on the 6th of December to the 16th. And when you go with me, I, I'm the guide, and I will teach you and show you. With, we'll make the gospel come alive to you. We'll follow and track the life of Jesus and what he did. So when you read the Bible, it'll make complete sense to you. Oh, wow, that's what that, that's what that really means. And if you want to come along, it's the one thing you should invest in your life is going to Israel once. We do have space left, not a whole lot, but you want to make an... In fact, Pastor Mandy's coming. If you want to know more about that, you can, she can tell you too. It's on our website, propheticlife.com. It is a life-changing experience. So consider that. Okay, getting back to... Back to teacher, what is good? Why do, you, why do you ask him what is good? And he confronted him because of the politics of that day. There's only one who is good. And what he's looking for is some sort of response. Are you recognizing me as a son of God or not? Because the one thing the Pharisees could not tolerate about Jesus was the fact that he claimed to be God's son. You must understand that they were looking for a Messiah. The politics of that day, it was the most momentous era and time in the entire history of Israel. Because in the time of Jesus, the second uh, temple period is called, the temple was magnificent. The city of Jerusalem was beautifully built by a, a very good builder called King Herod the Great. And so he died before Jesus got too, too old. He was only two years old when, G, when Herod died. But then the different Herods, there was a whole dynasty of Herods, and they kept coming, the different, different kings and different cousins and all kinds of family members of the, the, the dynasty. But this king, this one king could build, and he built this magnificent platform, which is there today. It's called the Temple Mount. It is so big, you could put 12 football fields on it. 
It is huge. So at any given time when Christ was at the temple, you could have had 3,000 people there coming to a, fest a, a festival. And so they were looking for deliverance from these Romans, and they were believing God for a Savior because they read in, in Isaiah that the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming. But the signs of the main sign was the working of miracles, something they didn't see at all. John the Baptist comes with a powerful message, really shaking up the Israel, Israelites, but he did no miracles. They asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, there's one coming greater than I am after me. So when Jesus comes and he teaches the word of the new kingdom, which is so different that even John could not grasp it. At the end of John's life, he sent word to ask him, are you the one or should we expect someone else? It was so frustrating to him because it didn't comply with his message of repentance. Christ came with a whole different good news. So when they wanted to stone Jesus at the temple, his words were, for which of my miracles are you stoning me? Because they recognized did miracles, but they'd rather stone him because they could not embrace his message. And that's why Jesus confronted this huge young guy looking for a response from him. He said, there's only one who's good. Only God is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Because he asked him, what must I do to get eternal life? Now he's already wealthy, he's already successful, and he's coming to Jesus, which is very odd, because he's gone to all the rabbis, He's raised in the ways of God, and he's searching for the Lord, but he's dissatisfied enough to go to a controversial teacher from Galilee. There's so much buzz and talk about this man, and so he's come to check it out because he's still not satisfied with the rabbis that teach him. He wants something more. And he says, well, you must keep the commandments. So he asks, which ones? Jesus replied, you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, and that kind of bothered me, because you can understand if you kill somebody, or commit adultery, or stole something, but how do you know whether you've honored your mother and father, or loved your neighbor as yourself enough? How do you know if you've actually done that? How do you measure that? It tells me this young man had made such an effort. He wasn't sickly. He wasn't broken. He came because his soul was hungry for more. He wanted something more. There is more to be had in your Christian walk. You are sitting here today. None of you are sitting here because you thought it was a good idea. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. With all your messed up mistakes, and however bad you feel, the devil's going to wear you down and tell you that you're rotten because you are. He didn't save good people. He said that it's the sick that need a doctor. He came to save the lost. Are you hearing me? Whether you committed one sin, whether you lied or killed ten people, the same hell waits for both. There's no differentiating between levels of sin. Do you understand? And Jesus paid for it all. And he picked you. He chose you, and that's why you're here today. Now, I'm assuming that most of you have had the born again or the salvation, the experience of getting saved, getting Christ as your Savior and surrendering your life to Him. I'm assuming that most of you do that. But I can honestly tell you, I'm almost sure that most of you don't enjoy the level of relationship that He really has waiting for you. 
Most people pursue relationships and they are broken and messed up, whether it's parents or husband, wife, whether it's children. There's all kinds of brokenness, wounds, sorrow, hatred, anger in all these relationships. And there's only one real relationship that genuinely satisfies. This young man was looking for something. He was already successful, really wealthy. He was really ruling and he was really spiritual because he knew all the commandments and he said, I keep these. I've made every effort to keep it down to the line. I go to church, I tithe, I do exactly what I'm supposed to do. But um, there's something more for me. I want more. That's what he said to Jesus. And so when the young man heard this, he went, he, uh, I'm sorry, wrong. I've kept verse 20. I've kept all this young man said, what do I still lack? Why do you think you lack something? Because inside there's still a hole. That's what he said. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, which means complete, because you're going to go, he said, if you do these, you'll, go, you'll make eternal life. You're going to go to heaven. You have eternal life. But I want more. If you want more, then there's one thing you lack. What is that? Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, money is not an issue to God at all. Not at all. God has no problem with you being very wealthy. In fact, most of you could be wealthy if you just were faithful with little. He will never lose the soul that he purchased with his own blood to giving you earthly things that have no value. If you're praying, begging God for breakthroughs, money, cars, whatever it is, and God will give it to you, but then if it's going to lose you, he's not going to give it to you. How does he know that? Well, he tests you with the smaller things. If you aren't faithful with the small things, he won't trust you with money. If you struggle to give a tithe, a tithe is the, <laughs> the tithe is the bottom of the food chain of obedience. If you can't obey him with ungodly mammon, how will you obey him with spiritual riches? It's extremely important you understand what I'm telling you. Very important. I'm too old to have an agenda. I'm too old to care whether you like me or not. I'm too old to care whether you have me back again. What I'm really interested in is giving you the truth. The real truth. The way it is. I don't want to compete with any other ministry. I want to only please the Lord and that you know who God is in your life. Do you understand? Because none of you have my chance. And it's not the money that's an issue, it's the heart. It's all about the heart. In his particular case, the money was an issue. It's not in everyone's life, but in his life. Now, here's the thing. Your life are filled. Your life is filled from A to Z with choices. Every day, hundreds of choices. Will I turn left here? Will I get mad at that man being rude to me and cutting me off? Will I... Will I respond to this bad conversation? What will you do? How will you, what will you decide to do? From the Garden of Eden, they had a choice. He says, love me enough to choose not to take of this fruit. Choose me above this. And so Eve, we know, was deceived. Scripture says that. So that means Adam was not deceived, so she offers him the fruit, and so Billy, he's looking at this and thinking, if I take this fruit, I will endanger my relationship with God. If I don't take it, I may lose Eve. So I have a decision to make. Eve or God? 
and you know he chose Eve. And since that day to this, mankind is choosing all the time. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And God's looking, and they ask, which is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all, with all, all. with all your heart, with all your might, to love the Lord your God. So you choose God above these things. So he says, what must I do to be perfect? One thing you lack. To be perfect, you've got to choose me. And right now, your choice is what's giving you power and recognition and making you feel who you are. Not everyone has that thing to choose from. You have something to choose. Abraham had to choose whether to kill his son and obey God or not. He had choices. Everybody has a choice. Throughout your life, God's looking for choices inside of you. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was morally sound. In fact, he was downright not. He had all these, all these wives and concubines, so many of them, and still he knowingly pursued another man's wife. And that wasn't even what made God mad. According to Nathan, he said, you killed Uriah with the hand of the Philistines. And because you embarrassed God through his, his people, you, there'll be a consequence. So you can see the nature and interaction of God with mankind, what God values, how differently. He's very tolerant of our weaknesses, but he despises our wickedness. Let me explain. Am <laughs> I boring you yet? No. Weaknesses are things that we struggle with. And we can falter and fall every day, 10 times a day, and God will forgive you each time. Because it's weakness. Jesus said, and one of you, to his disciples, is a devil. Well, Judas was about to betray him, and Peter was going to deny him. Peter denied him three times. Judas betrayed him once. Why is Judas, why is Judas a devil? Because he was wicked. Peter was weak. Peter didn't want to do it, but he did it anyway. Judas made a very clear plan and went after it. It wasn't a moment of weakness. He was very decided in his wicked ways. Your struggles you have don't stress God, but your unforgiveness, your hatred, your judgments, the angers, that does bother God. Especially when he's working in your heart constantly to follow after him. Are you hearing me? To allow him to work inside of us, that's the nature of God. Now you've got to choose him above those, above those things. You may feel okay with the unforgiveness. Let me tell you, Unforgiveness is the single thing as a born-again, tongue-talking Christian that'll keep you out of heaven. I will not lie to you. Matthew 18 says Jesus, not someone else, Jesus said, if you don't forgive from your heart, God will do the same to you as removing all your forgiveness and hand you over to the tormentor. Matthew 18. Because he tells a story of a man who owed money, a servant to his master, couldn't pay it. And when his master forgave him and he went out and found his fellow servant owing a, a fraction of what the, he'd owed before and would not release him from the debt, God, the, the, the master was very angry and withdrew all his forgiveness and made him get back to the debt he was before. And so God will do the same to you if you don't forgive from your heart. You've heard very quiet in this place. Now, getting back to this rich young ruler, he left. He could not give up the money. He couldn't choose. It could have been anything. It could have been some girlfriend. It could have been uh, some fame. It could have been something in his life that he wanted more than God. He wanted more 
from the Lord, but not at the price of, of giving up everything. Not everybody was invited to follow him. The man who was delivered a thousand demons wanted to follow Jesus, and he said, no, you can't. So there's choices in your life, and that God wants you to make the right choice. And I'm here to invite you to pursue the Lord in that relationship because it is the most adventurous, most satisfying relationship you could ever have. There is nobody like him. He's constantly talking to you. You just don't hear it because you're not tuned in enough. The more frequent you tune into him, the more familiar his voice becomes to you. My sheep know my voice, not the goat and not the lamb. It's the sheep that spend time with him, that get used to him and pursue that relationship it'll have. And I want that for you because I'm a living testimony of what a satisfying journey and wonderful relationship he is. I, there's nothing like it. There's nothing you could possibly give me that I don't already have because I have everything in him. I cannot be envious or jealous of you in any way because I have it all in him. Paul said, I've, I have found the secret to contentment. It's a secret. Yeah. I've learned to abase and abound. I've learned it all because I'm happy not in what I have or don't have. I'm happy in something much more. And when you find that, then he adds all those things to you and they don't get between you and him because he's the one that satisfies you. So you've been pursuing and trying to get through your broken relationship, getting through the disappointment in the family, getting through all that stuff when in fact, all you need to do is to embrace him and to love him. It's very easy. Instead of every morning getting up and going through a shopping list with God, your prayer list that you have a whole list of, put that aside for its 10 minutes. And just lift your hands and alone somewhere, not in the shower, not on the way to work, somewhere where it's no distraction. And tell him how much you love him. Just tell him, begin to thank him for what you do have, not what you think you should have. Thank him for your salvation, for your health, for who he is and what he's done. Begin to remember all his benefits and soon a grateful heart will rise in you and the worship becomes natural and you'll begin to worship him. And if you take time and just dwell, stay, take a moment there, he'll talk to you. And the more you do it, the more familiar it will become in your life and the more fulfilling and exciting that you can look forward to those times that you spend with him. He loves you. This rich young ruler was looking for something so much more, but he wasn't willing to pay the price, which wasn't the money, it was not an issue. It was the choice that he came first. Put him first, you will never be sorry. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.